Thank you. Um, so 1 Kings, just super important to lead into that. This is a massive story that we're going into. And I just wanted to lead in. I know it's a huge chunk to read, but I just thought it was super important that we heard that. Because as we heard in 1 Kings 18, Elijah has just witnessed God rain fire upon the altar, proving that Baal was worthless. And then he ran 27 kilometres. That's how far it was from Mount Carmel where he was to Jezreel. Ran 27 kilometres ahead of chariots with the great expectation that Jezebel, who was killing the Lord's prophets, was going to fall on her knees and confess, yes, Baal is useless and the Lord God is the only true God. However, we see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19, this isn't the case at all. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. I'm reading from NIV, by the way, if you're following. (laughs) Now, Elijah's expectations were completely shattered. He has just experienced this massive spiritual high and expecting God to just keep these good times rolling for him. And then, bam, a huge slap in the face that things just don't always work that way. I'm sure we've all been there. You've experienced blessing after blessing. We build up this false sense of security then during the good times, thinking that our lives are just always going to be easy. But God doesn't work like this at all. His ways are a mystery to us. So at any point, God can do whatever he pleases, whether that be to continue to bless us or to bring us into a time of discipline. I imagine it with my son, Wade. How would he end up if I was to continuously shower him with gifts and blessings? Be honest with yourselves, he'd be a spoilt brat who would expect the world to fall at his feet. I'm not saying that Elijah's a spoilt brat at all, but I just think his expectations were a bit clouded. If we look at what happens next, we see Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Now, you would think of all the people to just have a spark of confidence. Elijah would be swimming in it. However, he is stricken with an irrational fear of Jezebel. And decides to run into the wilderness and beg God to take his life. I mean, if he truly wanted his life to be over, he would have just run to Jezebel's doorstep. And yet he runs into the wilderness to isolate himself, sit in his self-pity, and is starting to fall into a deep depression. I wonder if you can see points in your own life where you've done that. You witness these great acts of God. Suddenly a problem broods its head. It could be something you've seen in the news. A relationship has gone pear-shaped. 
or even the harvest hasn't gone as planned and you find yourself wallowing in your own misery. Heck, you might even bring yourself to the point of asking God to take your life. But as we lose hope in God, he reveals himself to us in an awesome way. Verses 5 onwards, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. While sitting and festering in his own self-pity, God sends fresh bread and water to help sustain Elijah. And this is not just some simple loaf of bread or water. He lasts 40 days and 40 nights journeying to the mountain of God. God was showing that regardless of whether or not Elijah deserved it, God wanted to sustain him for his journey. I wonder if your memory's starting to jog a little bit now of where we've heard of bread and water that will sustain us forever. You look at John 6:35, then Jesus declared, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." We have been given the bread and water of life that we may never thirst or grow weary, but will be sustained on our journey for God. After this, you would expect some gratitude towards God, I imagine. You'd be completely wrong, though. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God asking Elijah, what are you doing here, is a question loaded with rebuke. He's like getting up in. God's anointed prophet has run away into isolation. So you can understand God just going, what the heck are you doing here, mate? What's going on? Elijah is probably one of the gutsiest people I've seen because upon hearing God, he begins to have a dummy spit, complaining about being the only prophet of God left, which isn't true considering we heard in chapter 18 There are a hundred prophets hidden away for God in a cave or in two caves. I'm genuinely curious for us here. How often in our own lives do we allow ourselves to fester in self-righteousness and self-pity to the point where we just choose to ignore blatant facts about God? I know for myself that when I try and take a hold of the reins, I think I'm nailing it at first. And then suddenly God has different plans and I just want to give him what for? Because my plans are better than his, right? But how does God respond to this? The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain 
in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The uh, writer thought they'd just chuck a dash of deja vu in there for you because God asked the exact same question and Elijah chimes back in with the exact same complaint. Blinded by self-righteousness and self-pity, after seeing the awesome power of God, Elijah still believes he is in the right way of thinking. However, there is a not-so-subtle detail. Elijah pulls his cloak over his face. Who's done this before? You're in the principal's office or you're getting scolded by your parents and you're avoiding eye contact. Because you know in your heart you've done the wrong thing and yet all of a sudden there is this spark of confidence within you while you're avoiding eye contact and you start trying to justify your sinful position, looking away and... Yeah, no, I'm pretty good, no worries. But I know how I'd feel if someone did that to me. I'd be, are you serious? Are you serious right now? You're really going to try and justify yourself in front of me. Getting all miffed because someone's having a whinge. And yet God deals with the situation in a way that only he can. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, Anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. After all that, God doesn't even address what Elijah is complaining about. He gives Elijah a few jobs and sends him on his way. This is the amazing thing about God's mysterious ways. Because without even directly addressing the issue, he deals with Elijah's problems. However, God does point out that Elijah is talking rubbish, especially regarding all of Israel turning away from him to worship Baal. Not only are there the hundred prophets hidden away, but God has also reserved 7,000 Israelites who haven't bowed at all to Baal. Now, I know for a fact that there are different types of depression, 
of varying degrees in the world. I'm not saying that giving a depressed person a job is the answer to curing all depression. But in Elijah's case, God knew that this is what he needed to bring him out of his intense self-focus. He was self-righteous, self-centered and consumed with self-pity, which is what a lot of us tend to struggle with today. And yet, even though we are so intensely focused on ourselves, God continues to act in the same way that God dealt with Elijah's issues indirectly. He has overcome all of our issues through Christ's sacrifice for us. We may be struggling deeply with problems within ourselves or even problems with God. And yet we are reminded in all of this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Although Christ's death may not directly deal with what we believe our issues to be, it accomplishes and deals with the heart of the real problem. Sin and death. Christ takes away our sin, restores us back to the Father, so that we can fulfill our purpose as His children. That being to follow His will for our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're just really grateful for the way in which we see You act all the time, Lord. You are constantly at work and you are far bigger than anything we can understand. I pray, Lord, as we go about our weeks and we are tempted to isolate ourselves and to fester in our own righteousness and to become angry towards you, God, I pray you help us to see and understand the awesome wonder that you are and the love that you have set before us through Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that we can encourage each other in that, knowing that that is all we've got. Knowing that you love us and you've restored us back to yourself. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.